Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Yesterday was Independence Day. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd share a little bit about the New Testament concept of freedom. I, I watched that. I, I, I'm, boy, I go all out on Independence Day. I spent the day yesterday uh, cooking and baking. and but No, I didn't. I spent the day mowing, and then I spent the evening on the couch watching 1776, the musical, one of my all-time favorites. But... Uh, it is entirely appropriate, I'm not going to do it tonight, I, I just, I'm going to say it's entirely appropriate to uh, look at a holiday, look at Independence Day in particular, and, and, and reflect on just how good God has been to the United States of America. There has never been a country like this. Uh, and there, likely, if, if America fades from the scene, it's likely there never will be a country like this. It is absolutely unique in human history. And it is um, certainly due to the fact that America was born out of a Christian worldview. We can argue, I've talked about this before, even fairly recently, uh, it's, it's, you can have a discussion about was America specifically founded as a Christian nation? And some would say, no, that would, ma- that would make us, you know, uh, we, we, we're not that. We are a, a government, we're governed by laws, human laws. Uh, but that's not really the issue. Uh, by, just, by just a few decades after the, the Constitution was ratified, uh, this was a Christian nation. Just by its character, its habits, its culture. We were, we were absolutely soaked in it. And that is what uh, caused uh, America to prosper and thrive. And continues to, really. I think we might be sort of coasting at this point. Uh, but we can talk about that later. And I believe that the terrible things that we see happening now, I mean some of the absolute craziness, the ridiculous things that everybody, practically everybody in the country and the world would have recognized as patent nonsense 20 years ago, are now being discussed with great gravitas in the, in the halls of Congress and the courts. The things that we're seeing, and to let alone the crimes and the murders, everything else, I think all these things are the result of trying to cling to the principles of freedom that were born out of a Christian worldview while untethering ourselves from the Christian aspect of it. We want the freedom that our founding fathers saw that biblical Christianity uh, granted mankind, but we don't want biblical Christianity. We don't want Jesus. We do. But as a nation, we want to be utterly secular. We want the freedom without any of the restraints that the Bible also offers. Perhaps my favorite quote along this line is from John John Adams, and I can't imagine there's anybody in here who hasn't heard it, but it goes like this. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now, I've, I've loved that quote for, uh, for decades, from the first time I heard it. But I just, just today did I find it in context. John Adams was giving a speech to a, uh, a particular army, a military group. 
And he said this, and the language is a little high-flown, uh, but I think you can follow it. He said this, while our country remains untainted with the principles and manners which are now producing desolation in so many parts of the world, while she continues sincere and incapable of insidious and impious policy, we shall have the strongest reason to rejoice in the local destination assigned us by providence. But should the people of America once become capable of that deep simulation toward one another and toward foreign nations, which assumes the language, which assumes the language of justice and moderation while it is practicing iniquity and extravagance, and displays in the most captivating manner the charming pictures of candor and frankness and sincerity while it is rioting and rapine and insolence, this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world because we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Let me read that sentence again. Because we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly unfit for the government of any other. That's powerful. And I guess this is where I want to go tonight, but not about America, but about us as individuals, as families, as, as a church. What does it mean to be free as a believer in Christ Jesus? The Apostle Paul had a lot to say about that, most famously, probably in the book of Galatians. He wrote about being free from the law. You know, you remember... Most of you remember, but I'm not going to assume that everybody does. And we've got a little bit of time tonight, again, since it's a short sermon. Paul was a very Jewish Jew. He was a very legalistic Jew. He was passionate about his Jewishness to the point where uh, he was attacking Christians. He was jailing them. He was having them put to death. He was getting official papers to round them up and imprison them when he had a very literal, very real encounter with the risen Lord. And he was thoroughly utterly converted, and then became not just an apostle, but a super apostle, the most effective uh, uh, missionary and minister, uh, and, and, and probably outside of Jesus himself, the one, the one individual he did, who did more to spread Christianity than anybody else. Uh, but he was, he ended up ministering very powerfully and significantly among the Gentile world. He would go into cities meet with the Jews. He always went to the synagogue first, uh, but then uh, wound up getting, more, uh, getting rejected very often by the Jews, but getting large followings of those outside the Jewish community. They would embrace Christ, and churches would be established. And it was hard, uh, but most of the early, the very earliest Christians were all Jewish converts. They could see that everything in the Old Testament was leading up to Jesus Christ. They were taught well. But when outsiders, when Gentiles began to become Christians, the Jews started thinking, well, wait a minute. They didn't follow the same path we did. 
we don't want to protest their accepting Christ, but they skipped over some stuff. So these Judaizers would come in where, where Paul had established a church and led many people to the Lord, often thousands of people, and they would say, good, we're glad you're part of this, but if you really want to be right, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow these Jewish laws. And Paul was livid when he writes to the Galatians because the Galatians were fallen for this. He says, you, you began in grace. Who bewitched you? You were doing well. Was it law that brought you to Christ? Why do you want to go back to something that Jesus freed the Jews from? I don't know why they want to come and impose that on you. But no, if you think just fulfilling this one part of the law is necessary, here's the danger. You're going to find yourself under the weight of the entire law. And you have been freed from that. When Paul writes about freedom in Galatians, he's writing very specifically about freedom from the law because he understood and we understood because of his writing and because of everything else we can read in the New Testament that the law was good, the law was holy, but the law could not save us because it was a matter of do this, do this, do this, do this, and you will be blessed. If you fail to do this or do this instead, you're under a curse. This is the curse of the law. What does it include? Among other things, poverty, sickness, and ultimately death. And we have been, re we have been redeemed from that law. We've been redeemed from poverty, sickness, and death because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The law has been fulfilled, and every blessing he speaks over us. Again, remember, you go back to Deuteronomy. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Do everything right, and you're blessed. Jesus did everything right. He fulfilled the law, and guess what? We are in Christ, so we're blessed. We're redeemed from the law. The law's been fulfilled. Paul's saying, don't go back there. Now, let me read out of Galatians. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, first of all, says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. New American Standard Bible, same verse, says this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. But keep reading. In verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Skip down to verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the thing that you, things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I'll say something about that in a minute. I'm going to read one more longish passage, and I'll make a few remarks, and we'll be done. 
In Romans chapter 7, this is Paul again, and we'll begin in uh, verse 21, Romans 7, 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Continue on into Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, <clears throat> but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wrapping this up, we're getting there. But you are not in the flesh, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised, Jesus, who, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, that's a lot. There is a whole series of sermons wrapped up in that passage. And it can be a little confusing, but you see where Paul starts there in chapter 7. I see what's happening here. I am smart enough, and my mind is good. And when I see the law of God, I rejoice in it. It's a good law, and I want to do it. There's one little problem. I can't. My flesh wants to do everything else. And how's that make me feel? Wretched. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But I thank God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to talk about this new thing. It's almost like chapter 7 is that was then, and chapter 8 is, but this is now. He still recognizes that there is a pull on the flesh. That he, but, he's, but he's separating that from the spirit man. My spirit is drawn to the word of God, words of life, the law of love and liberty in Christ Jesus. But my flesh is still pulling me this way. What's going to make the difference? Who's going to walk after the flesh versus who's going to walk after the spirit? It's where you're setting your mind. What are you going to focus on? What are you going to meditate on? What are you going to, what are you going to spend your time thinking about? Because if you are mulling over, all you're doing is thinking about how badly you want to do these fleshly things, you're going to follow that. That's where the battle is. It's in the mind. That's why it's important to gather like this. It's why it's important to surround yourself with people who are going to uh, engage you in conversations about this stuff, encourage you in these things, right? But more importantly, he, he admits, and, and, and this, this is so key when we talk about uh, what the law did. 
So the law is holy, but the law could not transform me. The law couldn't save me because sin and death already dwell in my members. But if the Spirit of God dwells in me, if the Spirit of Christ, if I am born again, guess what that comes with? It comes with the power to obey Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of now I can keep the law. It's I have a relationship with God now. I can see him. I can hear him. I can relate to him in ways that I couldn't when I was dead in sin. And it changes my desires. If This is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, lives in you. And it talks about he'll bring life to your mortal bodies. That's not talking about the general resurrection. It's talking about bringing new life to you now. Probably everybody here heard it, but Jeff Canfield started a message on the authority of the believer a month ago, the first Wednesday of June, and he finished it this past Sunday. Outstanding message. But what's that about? When we speak faith, when we will operate in faith and, and exercise the authority of the believer, we are speaking God's word over circumstances that are often contrary to the word of God, especially when it comes to things like healing or our finances. And we want these things to line up with what God's promises say, right? So, couple things, and this is, this, is, this is the application part. One is this. When you get a diagnosis in your body or bad news on the financial front, you ought to know by now, if you've been coming here any length of time, you ought to know by now that there are certain promises you can stand on. And I encourage you always, let that be your first response before you go run into the bank, before you start coming up with a, a, a financial plan, before you go run into the doctor, before you start looking for medicine, you confess the promises of God and you speak them over your body, you speak them over your circumstances, right? We know this. When you sin or when you find yourself tempted, you see yourself going a different direction, you find, speak to that as well. Recognize this is not, these are not the kind of things I'm supposed to be thinking about. These are not the kind of things I'm supposed to desire. These are not the kind of things I'm supposed to be doing. Thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed me from these things, that you are filling me with godly desires, that you are cultivating in me an appetite for the things that please you, that I will. <coughs> Every athlete can tell you, most athletes can tell you, that starting a training program is difficult and unpleasant. But if you stick with it long enough and you're dedicated, you get to the point where you enjoy it, where you're actually miserable if you miss a workout, a run, or a session in the gym or something like that. It's been a long time since I felt that way. Okay, but I've been there. I know what it's talking about. I know what I'm talking about. And it's the same way. If you're not in the habit of reading your Bible, if you're not in the habit of spending time in prayer, it can be a little bit of an act of self-discipline. It can be difficult. But you will get to the point where you are reading it, it'll become a habit, it'll become a joy, and you will miss it. Travel somewhere overnight and say, I forgot my Bible. Ask if you can borrow one. Right? So that's one thing. But here's the other. Uh, we recognize that this struggle is real. While Paul, I do believe he's talking about two different worlds in Romans 7 and Romans 8, Paul never pretended that the struggle went away. 
He had to say he buffeted the flesh daily to keep it under. Your flesh, you, you will, what's the old story Brother Hagin used to tell? He's in a, doing a prayer line and a guy said, I want you to pray that the devil will just leave me alone. And Brother Hagin said, so you want me to pray that you die? Uh, that's, that's, what, that's when we're going to be free of temptation, free of, uh, of all the, the troubles of this world, is when we're out of this world, out of this body. Meanwhile, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight. Uh, and this is tricky because sometimes there's a fine line between this mindset, where I'm going with this, and legalism. But we want, for instance, when we are talking about speaking to our bodies, our circumstances. We want things to change, so we speak God's word in the authority of the believer and expect these things to change. I just got a diagnosis from the doctor that is not good. It doesn't make me happy. The good news is God's word says this, and that, that cancels this out. Doctor says I'm sick. Word says I'm healed. I'm going to stand on this word, and I expect this diagnosis is going to change. It's going to disappear. This is what healing is, right? But if we take that seriously, we want the Word of God to rule over our circumstances, but we don't allow the Word of God to rule over our passions, our behaviors, our habits, then we're kidding ourselves. To say the word of God is alive and it's powerful enough to heal my body, get me out of this mess, that mess, and change my circumstances, but I really can't do anything about this bad habit, this desire, this sinful uh, lifestyle. That's just who I am. Uh, sorry. God is either God over all of it or he's not God. Now, I agree, there are some things, I know people who can believe for healing, no problem. And they struggle believing for finances, and vice versa. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we're looking at the, uh, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. If we are expecting to see supernatural results in our prayer life and the things that we're believing for, but we are not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, and yet the works of the flesh are abundant in our lives, then we are, the words coming out of our mouths are powerless. We walk in the authority of the believer most correctly and most powerfully when we walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a good place to start with your faith. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me? There's a, when we talk about living this way, walking this way, please remember it's not a matter of legalism. It's a matter of falling in love with our Heavenly Father, falling in love with Jesus Christ to a degree that makes us not want to do anything to dishonor Him or displease Him. Because he's the one who loves me the most. And this is another thing that's counterintuitive. He has made me free. But the best and most productive thing I can do with that freedom is make myself a slave to him. 
That word slavery is loaded in the United States of America. And when we talk about freedom, uh, and when we talk about our history of slavery, and then people want to really throw stones at the Bible because it has rules. This is how you treat a slave. Well, how can the Bible even begin to endorse slavery? Well, there were different kinds of slavery. And it was a very honorable choice to make. If you had a debt um, that you couldn't pay, it was a very honorable career choice to simply sell yourself into slavery. The, the, the Bible really doesn't differentiate linguistically between a slave, an indentured servant, and in many cases, an employee. Uh, but if you sold yourself uh, as a servant to a man, you belonged to him. For, and it was usually for a set amount of time. Okay? And so these slaves, these servants, uh, they were the property of the masters. And in many cases, what these servants would experience was, my life has been better while I have been owned by this man and his family than it ever was before. My master takes better care of me than I ever took of myself or than anyone ever, better care than, than anyone has ever taken of me. So when their term of their servitude was expired, they could, in many cases, choose to remain a slave. And at that point, they became what's known as a bond servant. And a more literal translation of bond servant is love slave. And it doesn't mean it the way as many people mean it today. It means I'm becoming a slave to you because of my love for you and your love for me. And at that point, the master would take a, a ring, either put it in his ear or in his nose to signify I own you now. But this is voluntary because this, this servant says, I love my master. And I would rather serve him than try to pursue life on my own. You go to your Bibles and look at the introduction to so many of the epistles. Now, Paul will often owe Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you flip over to the next book. Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were slaves to their love of Jesus. This is the kind of relationship God is inviting us to. He's made us free. And what he offers us is better than anything the world can offer us. But we are not equals. We enter into this relationship with God. Never forget there's a vertical aspect to this. Much as he loves you and much as he promises to take care of you, he will be your friend, the best friend you've ever had. He'll be your father, the best father you've ever had. But he will also be your master, your God. But it's nothing to be afraid of. That's what the word Lord means. He must be your Lord. My question is, is he your Lord? You know, when I was a kid, I'm not going to tell my whole testimony tonight, but when I prayed, because I didn't want to go to hell, I prayed a very simple prayer. Jesus, please come into my life, come into my heart and save me. And I am 100% convinced to this day that that's when I was saved. But I didn't understand lordship at that time. But I was made to understand it as time went on. It wasn't like a day came where I said, oh no, I'm not saved because I didn't say, lord, uh, I didn't say Jesus, be my Lord. I said, be my Savior. I said, come into my heart. God met me where I was. 
But we have to understand that ultimately this is where we're heading. That this is really what salvation is, is simply putting ourselves under his covering, his protection, but his ownership. So it's a big decision. But I'm asking you to make it tonight if you haven't. I'm speaking to everybody in here of every age who understands the English language. Have you made that decision? No matter how good your life is, no matter how bad your life is, do you need to say tonight, God, I, I'm not going to try to run this myself. Nobody in history has ever been able to live a life that is pleasing to God without the power of God in them. And that only comes when you make Jesus Christ your Lord. Just by a show of hands, I'm not asking people to close their eyes, bow their heads or anything. Would you just raise your hand and say, I need to make that decision tonight. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want him to not just be the Lord. I want him to be my Lord. Anybody tonight. This is the only way you will ever experience true freedom. Anybody? Praise the Lord. If you needed to raise your hand and didn't, if you want to make that decision, maybe you've got one more question you need answered. I'll be around. I invite you to stick around. We're going to open up the fellowship hall. Are we going out on a song tonight or what? We are? Okay, we're going to sing a song here in a minute. I'm going to pray. <coughs> And if during this song you want to come up and make that decision, come talk to me. I'll, I'll pray with you. We'll do it right here in front of everybody, but people will be singing, and you can tell people about it later, all right? Uh, or if you need to talk to me afterward, I'll be around for that too. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for liberty, and thank you for reminding us, Lord, that you didn't free us to live our own life. You didn't free us so that we could have license to sin and go on and stay in the mud and the muck and the garbage you've pulled us out of. You've freed us from those things, and you've freed us to a life of service. You've freed us and empowered us to live a life that is pleasing to you. If there's anybody in the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray, uh, who does not know you, has not experienced that power, has not experienced that liberty, that freedom, Lord, I want them to experience it. And I know that you want that a million times more than I do. So do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. Convict those who need to make that decision of their need to make that decision and grant them the humility, the wisdom, and the boldness to make that decision tonight in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.